Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with an audio adaptation of horrific fiction about otherworldly oddities. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Richard Morgan are voice talents Danielle Hewitt, Nate Dufort, Nick Goroff, Olivia Steele, and Melissa Medina. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our Theater of the Minds. And brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale this evening is written by Richard Morgan and is performed by Danielle Hewitt, Nate Dufort, Nick Goroff, Olivia Steele, and Melissa Medina. In it, we meet a private investigator delving into the twisted dark world of make-believe. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Happy Cake Land. Why does every grim detective story start out with, It was a dark and stormy night. If crime was really preceded by rain, 
then we'd live in a water world. Well, this far into my solo career as a private eye, I think that the dark and stormy night isn't always literal. There's a lot of dark clouds that try to suffocate you from ever seeing the light again. The light at the end of the tunnel. The light in people's faces when a case is finally put to rest. The light of happier times for yourself. Sure, there are moments when you're a hero. But more often, you're just helping to clean up the bigger crime scene. With all the broken emotions and injustices that nobody sees in the chalk line on the TV screen. I'm Chloe Shandell. This is my fourth year as a private investigator with the Wilson Agency. This means I can count on one hand how many big cases I've handled. The rest are just a means of keeping myself on the payroll. People don't understand why a 20-something woman would want to work in a field that ages you ahead of schedule. Part of it is that I like the challenge. When there's a challenge. I'll admit that I thought I'd be getting better work than this on the regular. The other part is that it's one of those things you just don't know what you're getting into until you're in. There's no point in backing out after that line has been crossed. Does that sound depressing? Yeah. So every night is a dark and stormy night. The phone had been quiet for a few days longer than usual. It caught me by surprise when it finally made some noise. Hello? I said with my pulse picking up. My heart dropped. Hi, Mavis. Just touching bases because, you know, it looks like you haven't taken on any new cases for a minute. I don't think you want my we're-depending-on-you speech. A drop in crime is a good thing, Mavis. Bad for us, but good for the world. Crime ain't dumb, though. Oh, please, we want to keep you. Think about me the next time a case comes your way, alright? Mavis hung up without waiting for my answer. Well then. I hadn't taken up the drinking crutch that everyone thinks I'm supposed to have. But I was getting closer to understanding how one gets it. I did keep a little something-something under my desk, and I won't lie. It was starting to taste more like medicine than fun. I drummed my nails on my desk as I weighed the decision. My thoughts were broken off by a shadowy movement behind the clouded glass of my door, followed by a knock. It's not locked, I called out. A woman opened the door just wide enough to slip through. Her eyes seemed to be checking corners for threats. I guessed her to be close to my age, but she wore some shroud of anxiety that aged her at the moment. Don't be shy. The good guys work here, I said. I use that line a lot. I believed it a little less each time I said it. She was hunched over with folded hands and she shuffled over to one of the empty chairs in front of my desk. An opportunistic light bulb went off in my brain. Nerves, huh? She nodded. Do you drink? I asked. Yes. Green light. I found a couple of glass tumblers and soon they had ice cubes soaking in amber. She thanked me and I silently thanked her. Well, um, I'm Mandy. I lifted my glass to her. Hi, Mandy. I'm Chloe. What you got for me? She tapped her fingertips together briefly, shaking her head. My daddy has disappeared. Sort of. She had my attention. Okay. He checked himself into Bright Dawn Wellness Center about three weeks ago. 
We run a bakery, and I think the stress of the business was getting to him. He didn't tell you? No, it was very sudden. I mean, I knew he was under a lot of pressure, and I thought we were handling it pretty well. Like a family. What's the last thing you've heard from him? Well, that's just it. I haven't heard anything. It's been zero contact ever since he went there. What do the staff say? Well, they act like they have no idea who I'm talking about. I've called them a million times and talked myself blue in the face. I gave them his name, address, social security number, his description down to his birthmarks, and they don't budge. They don't know who he is, and they haven't seen him before. Lately, they don't even pick up the phone. I got it stuck in my head that they know more than they're telling me. So I called the police. And you know what they told me after they looked into it? They say I should check myself in too. So the cops are in on it. Whatever it is. My mind was shooting off sparks. I couldn't believe a case like this just landing in my lap. A missing person. A distraught daughter. A... <laughs> psych ward with a possible agenda. Not likely, but possible. So you need him found and accounted for. She kept her eyes on her whiskey as she nodded. I'll take your case. I said with restraint. I felt that my enthusiasm would be facetious if I allowed it to show. She handed over a large envelope with enough to get me started. Photos, documentation that could establish identity, a few news clippings, mostly about the opening and ongoing success of their bakery. The kind of stuff local news covered occasionally when they were out of ideas. The direct approach hadn't done anything for either Mandy or the police, so I decided to skip it myself. Instead, I paid Bright Dawn a visit to quietly cover as many square inches as possible with my eyes. I would go after the blueprints later, but you can't get the general flavor of a place from blueprints. Private investigator is a bitter taste you need to mask as much as possible. I soon had a uniform and well-fabricated ID, if I do say so myself. It just wouldn't be able to unlock any of the sensor-locked doors. But I would figure that part out when I had to. I wanted to keep a light touch for as long as possible. Bright Dawn faced forward as a cutting-edge facility for the people unfortunate enough to need emergency psychiatric care. Personally, if I'd have been one of the people admitted there, my heart would have plummeted down into my stomach as soon as I saw what wasn't shown in the glossy brochure and reassuring video ads. Okay, it wasn't exactly the torture chamber that the old asylums were, but I couldn't help feeling that the place cared more about what the outside saw than what the inside felt. I had to remind myself that I was there to find a father, not conduct an audit. But if I had been an inspector, the place would have fallen right into the palm of my hand. One Sloven orderly kept her username and password out in the open, on a piece of notebook paper. Her handwriting was huge and in sharpie. I could read it a mile away. Or at least from far enough away she would have never noticed me. She also said her credentials out loud each time she logged into the system. I found an unattended terminal and got right in. Patient records weren't hard to find. I ran a search for Jerry Mendenhall and got nothing. There was a Jonas Mendenhall in his 20s, far too young. There were a lot of Jerry's, 
but the man I was looking for wasn't on record. I paced the halls, plotting, drawing up a card in my brain. I found the Sloven orderly and played my card with her. Hey, I've got someone on the phone that's checking on the status of Jerry Mendenhall that checked in three weeks ago. I almost thought she didn't hear me, but her fingers worked away on the keyboard until her broad head shook, sending tremors through her chins. Uh, we don't have a Jerry Mendenhall. Well, what should I tell them? He isn't here. Never was. They must have the wrong number. I tried this with several orderlies, and they each had the same answer. The sharp rebuttal of the police began to ring my ears. You should check yourself in, too. I chided myself for thinking of repeating that advice to my client. Albeit with more finesse. But I didn't know how much deeper I could dig without stepping on some toes. If these people were sworn to secrecy, I would have seen it. They wouldn't put on an act for one of their own. Would they? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I began wandering, not even sure what I was looking for. I reached a hallway that felt like a transition between two different worlds. The usual foot traffic and noise diminished as if things weren't allowed in that part of the building. Ceiling tiles were less white and sagged. The hallway terminated into a door that was protected by a sensor that required a badge to unlock. And yet there was something about that lock. I leaned in close. There were no lights. No gentle hum of electricity. There was a generous film of dust on the display. I tried the door and it opened without any resistance. I held my breath just in case the alarm was delayed. But nothing happened. There were more galleries of patient rooms but most of them were open. Each of them had cobwebs and all the lighting was limited to the hallway. I was about to write off that entire section as abandoned and my mission as a bust. But then I heard it. Singing. It was a mumbling and rambling tune. Certainly the work of the mad. But I couldn't fathom how that part of the building, why that part of the building, would be an active use for patient care. I followed the sound around a distant corner and jerked back. An orderly was unlocking three enormous padlocks that were clamped around an equally heavy chain. It was wound through several brackets that kept a door anchored shut. The chain and the locks fell into a heap on the floor. The door opened and a lunatic laughter spilled out. But the orderly turned her back on the unguarded door and wheeled the dining cart inside. Time for dinner, Mr. Curry. The occupant replied with rapid chittering. Time slowed down for me as my heart rate sped up. I saw the key sticking out of one of the padlocks, 
I felt my own keys in my pocket. One for my apartment, one for my office, and one for my mailbox. I never got anything good in the mail, so I took out my mail key and went for the padlock key. I withdrew it with nothing louder than a gentle snick. I placed my own key on the floor. I got the briefest glance of the occupant through the door, and it made the whole job worthwhile. It was definitely Mr. Mendenhall. I was pretty sure that he saw me as well. I held my breath for the consequence that never came. I retreated back behind my corner and waited. I pictured the orderly questioning if she had left the key by itself like that, but then shrugged it off as the chain echoed through the stillness and the three padlocks clicked into place. I slinked back to the active portion of the building where the staff was starting to thin out for the evening hours. I got back into the patient records and searched the last name Curry. There was only one, admitted about three weeks ago. The full-color photo was a match to what Mandy had given me. But all the patient information... He hadn't just checked himself in under an alias. He had used an entirely fabricated identity. That's not the work of an insane man. It was something he had planned in advance. My eyes were drawn to the hallway that would take me to the exit. I had what I came for. But then I looked in the general direction of the derelict part of the building. Hiding in a psychiatric facility is not a casual move. I had to be sure about, well, the ethics of what I was doing. No amount of finesse prevented the padlocks on the chain from sounding like fireworks, but I got inside of his room, and I was arrested on sight. Every square inch of the room was covered in colorful clay sculptures, handcrafted and hand-painted. They were all some variation of cake, but in the most mind-bendingly creative ways. It was like the set to some children's television show. There were castles made of cake, the guard tower's pointed cones of frosting, Trees with pink cotton candy foliage bore colorful sprinkles instead of fruit. Lollipops and candies sprouted in place of flowers. Even more overwhelming were the figurines. It seemed that no two were alike. Their bodies were cookies and cupcakes that sprouted cherubic faces and limbs. Their hats were every sort of dessert. Think strawberry shortcake, ultra cake edition. And you had this room down to a tea. Mr. Mendenhall was down on all fours play-acting with some of the figurines. It was an active dialogue, as if he were rehearsing for a recorded show. The fudge dragon almost got us, but we're too smart for him! You can say that again. Okay, the fudge dragon- Shut up, cheesecake for brains! We need to prepare the dragon's egg for the grand banquet! What's the rush? The dragon can't find us here. But she who cuts the cake might. Not so loud. Mr. Mendenhall put every bit of character into their lines. But I didn't have the time to spare. I carefully stepped over the sprawling displays of trees and villages and approached him. Mr. Mendenhall, I'm Chloe Shandell. Your wife has hired me to find out if you're in here. He froze and looked at my feet. He stared as if I was invisible. How does she know the dragon's name? What? I said. The name of the dragon is a secret nobody in the kingdom knows, and she knows it. It's a sign. No, no, don't talk like that. But it's true, and you know it. She who cuts the cake must be near, for this is a messenger 
Who else could it be? I studied the scene. His figurines were continuing to chat. He wasn't breaking character. I considered. I threw open the door a look before I knelt down beside him. I took one of the figurines. A blonde girl with an ice cream sandwich for a body and I jumped in. Hey, I'm looking for Mr. Jerry Mendenhall, I squeaked. He had every character hiss the same thing. Don't speak the name of the fudge dragon. It means the end times are at hand. What end times? I replied. You know, when she who cuts the cake comes, she will divide the great world cake into a million slices, and happy cake land will be no more. Oh no! All the other figurines chimed. There was a spark in my head when he said Happy Cakeland. That was the name of the bakery mentioned in the news clippings from Mandy. I wasn't going to get any more answers from Mr. Mendenhall, but I had plenty of more questions. He let me leave without incident. I locked him back up and left the building. First thing in the morning, I was at Happy Cakeland. The style of the place was a spitting image of Mr. Mendenhall's miniatures. Undeniably, his work. The man must have been a prolific sculptor. Mandy was behind the counter and I never forgot how startled she was to see me. She smiled, but her eyes didn't. Chloe, I didn't expect to see you here. Quite a place you've got here. It's a work of art, actually. A feast for the eyes and the stomach. Jerry, Daddy could make anything with his hands. Do you have any news for me? We grabbed a table and I spilled everything. I could see the gears turning in her head, but she wouldn't show any of her cards. Do you have any idea why your father would fabricate a thoroughly false identity? No, uh, but I know he's play-acting. Happy Cakeland was a story he was going to pitch as a television show. Daddy always planned for it and had written scripts and everything, but he just took his time getting around to making it happen. He was always holding back. It became the inspiration for the bakery. She said with a sweeping gesture at our surroundings. Business looks really good, I said with genuine awe. Why do you think he felt the need to check himself in? Was that a warning that flashed in her eyes? It was gone as soon as I had noticed it. Well, even good business can take its toll. Day in and day out with a small crew... The bulk of everything is done by him and I. I tell you what, you might get more out of him if his story has to end. I beg your pardon? I know the story he was telling himself. Come over here. She took me into a room with metal shelving. Every square inch occupied by boxes of some kind. She produced a figurine that looked like it was missing from the set that Mr. Mendenhall was playing with. It should have been Morticia Adams but her black decorum consisted of an apron and measuring spoons hanging from the strings. A great round strawberry adorned her head. She held a long knife in one hand. This is the character that will cut the cake, or whatever, and trigger the end of the world. At least the end of his story. I mean, if his story ends, then maybe he'll come and talk to you more directly. I felt ridiculous even considering where this was going. You hired me to find out where he was, and I did. What would be the point of going back inside to deliver this? Chloe, I'm not going to get in there in a million years. 
he checked himself in. If the story ends, then maybe the spell will break and he will find his way out. This wasn't part of the agreement. I'll need to charge extra. Done. Name your price, just please. I accepted the assignment and the figurine. I walked out the door considering what the best time would be to slip back inside a bright dawn and make the delivery, and possibly get my mail key back. I stopped by my office to gather my thoughts. I plopped down in my chair which seemed to groan under the extra weight of my nerves. Huh. Nerves. I wasn't the anxious type. I held out one of my hands in front of me and sure enough, my fingers were trembling. That was new. I had heard about the way stress and burnout can sneak up on a person. I quietly decided that I would take the rest of the day off. It was only noon. I slouched back against my chair. I can't quite put into words the way I feel anxiety worming through the floor and up in my legs. It wasn't something I was used to. I was the type to be in control of how I felt, mind over matter, and yet my body had decided that it had a mind of its own. I took out the bottle of whiskey and hastily gathered some ice into the tumbler from the day before. The euphoria of the alcohol spread through my veins. I waited for my racing pulse to fade away. It didn't. In fact, it only got faster. My thoughts spun in circles, frequently coming back to the job I was stuck in. I couldn't afford to wait another day. Not in that condition. I made up my mind that I would go back to Bright Dawn that very evening. And you know what? That's when my levels started to taper off. I also thought I saw something move out of the corner of my eye. It was just my coat on a hook. I shook my head, eager for nightfall. I waited until the evening, though I could scarcely wait. I expected some kind of resistance, someone to spot me, but nope. I must have been crazy, because it felt even easier than last time. People seemed to just get out of my way and clear the halls so I could pass without interruption. The figurine in my pocket felt heavier the closer I got. I was definitely going to bed when I got this whole thing over with. I made it to Mr. Mendenhall's oversized playroom. He didn't react to me, but he did react to the figurine. I don't know why I expected him to recoil from it. He stared for a long moment and reached out with tears in his eyes. He held it out at an arm's length and gazed as if he had been reunited with a long-lost loved one. I think the word for what I saw in his face was finality. But he still wasn't going to answer my questions. I figured he needed time to transition from wherever he was back to reality, and I needed to get out before anyone discovered an unauthorized occupant in this room. When I stepped outside, all of the tension left my body at once like a spirit being cast out. I almost lost my balance. I felt so unburdened that it was unreal. But on another level, I felt a creeping dread. The feeling you get when you've done something wrong, but you just don't fully know it. What had I actually done anyway? I delivered a figurine to its original owner in the hopes that it would get him to snap back to reality and get him back to his daughter and his business. There was something more, and my senses wouldn't let it lie. I drove over to the bakery hoping that Mandy was there. I would tell her that I did the job and that I had some questions eating at me, even though I had no idea what those questions were. She wasn't there. I couldn't accept that. I had to know, and I had to know right then and there. I held my phone screen up to the lock for just enough light. I could easily pick the lock, but maybe I didn't have to.
I had found the spare key in a faux rock in 30 seconds. I let myself in and shown the LED of my phone around. A man has the luxury of not only a successful business, but the full-time support of his daughter, and enough creative energy to transform the building into a work of art. And then he checks himself into the funny farm because he's stressed? Madness might not be subject to logic, but that wasn't a recuperating man I saw isolated in that room. He was hiding. I had to know why. I located the room chock full with boxes. There were tons of business records and legal papers. Most of them were older, before the world went mostly digital. Then I noticed that one of the shelving units was on wheels. This stood out because none of the other shelves had wheels. Sure enough, there was a door behind it. I opened it, and the rabbit hole yawned wide to swallow me whole. One box was full of pictures. Mandy had the same face even in childhood. But the man that was by her side with what appeared to be her mother... I couldn't place it as Mr. Mendenhall. There was a professionally taken photo of the entire family with the same couple holding Mandy up high. I knew age couldn't change a man, but surely not to such an extreme. On the back of the photo was a stranger piece of the puzzle. The words, Sutton Family. I eventually found some pictures of Mandy with a man that looked more like Mr. Mendenhall, but she looked to be 12 or 13 in those photos. The nearly bottomless pile of other photos didn't provide any context. I had almost given up until at the very bottom of the catch-all box of photos, I found a small diary. It was quite worn and seemed to be meant for small hands. In there I found photos crammed between the pages, mostly of Mandy, but they didn't look right. She had a spacey, vacant look when her eyes were in the shot. Her clothes looked like she had been struggling with them. She was topless in one too many pictures, just beginning to transition from child to woman. I suppose I began to smell what I was going to uncover, but my conscious mind wouldn't accept it at first. It was too disgusting to look in the face. My mental gaze was like Mandy's in the photos, staring far off in any direction except straight on. The diary told of the really nice man, Jerry Mendenhall, how he made her feel special like a princess. The things he had bought her for her 13th birthday. The time he would spend with her while Daddy was busy. Then the entries suddenly got short, like two or three sentences long. They were like dry documentation, or notes that were supposed to be fleshed out later but never were. They told of how he had touched her and where, when he did it again. Once or twice she wrote of how she told him she didn't want to be touched like that, but he didn't listen. He kept touching her and she kept writing about it. The last entry was a date with the words married. Amanda Catherine Mendenhall. A thinning copy of a marriage certificate was between the pages. Whoever Jerry Mendenhall was, he was not Mandy's father. Two things happened. First, I realized that I was holding my breath. Second, I realized that I could hear voices. Indoors. With me. It was blurry chatter with no pauses. My deepest instinct screamed to me that I needed to get out. Instead, I was magnetized to the source of the whispering, wherever it was. And I had to find it. I stumbled into a small kitchen where there was a large cookbook resting on a counter. It was surrounded by a crowd of Mr. Mendenhall's figurines. 
The whispering was the loudest there. But where was it coming from? The eeriness sent ripples across my skin, and yet I was compelled to keep looking. My light passed over the pages of the cookbook. These weren't recipes scrawled on those pages. They weren't written in the English alphabet. And each bizarre, otherworldly, fiendish illustration was a punch to my brain that left me stunned. I felt my blood freeze in place when the lights of the bakery began to flicker. At first, I thought that someone had turned them on, as if an attempt to catch me like a burglar. But the lights strobed and flashed. A short circuit? What if it would end in a fire? That would be even worse. Then I'd have to call emergency services and explain myself. But when I looked to the doorway, there was no familiar outline of either Mandy or a uniformed officer. If I hadn't been holding the knife, my brain would have never accepted the possibility of what I was seeing. The figurine that I had left with Mr. Mendenhall had somehow grown to lifelike proportions. The lights, no matter which direction they threw their rays, never truly illuminated the inky black figure in front of me, with its larger-than-life hat, sleek dress and apron, and exaggerated footwear. In its hand was the wicked shape of the knife, also robed in shadow. The swirling voices began to speak in unison. She's returned, she's returned, they chanted. Deed is done, deed is done, we will be set free. Darkness. The light strobed, revealing that the figure was now closer to me. Darkness. Light. Even closer. The thing's progression towards me was revealed in harrowing snapshots. I tried to contain the scream that was collecting in my throat. The figure stood between me and any available exits. One last flash revealed the knife held high, poised to strike like the tail of a scorpion. I waited for the sharp pain. But there wasn't a soft sound of flesh meeting iron. There was the thunk of a carpenter's workshop, not a butcher's, metal and wood. I trembled from head to toe, barely daring to breathe. There was the sound of something like a sigh taking place all around me. As if I had been standing in a circle of people that had been holding their breath and could hold it no longer. Then the room was truly still. My phone created a shivering light that rested on the figurine's life-size knife. The figurine itself was gone. The blade protruded from the wooden table that held the small figurines. An absurd amount of blood flowed down from the knife and touched the toys. At the precise points where the ruby liquid touched them, faint wisps of vapor were visible just long enough for me to see them. Then they were gone. The toys seemed familiar somehow. More still, inert than they were before. Emptier than before. My churning thoughts created a ringing in my skull, but I had to focus on the most immediate necessity. Get out of there. From that moment on, another nameless knot settled into my stomach where it would gestate. Nameless, though it was, it developed a face. It hit the news that a patient at bright dawn had been butchered in the night and the killer slipped in and out without a trace. It was the news report that I had been expecting, but that I couldn't have imagined was possible. It took me more than a few days and more than one bottle of whiskey to get a grip. I didn't know how I was going to go about it, but I needed to make Mandy pay for what she had done.
whatever unholy measures she had resorted to. She was the killer, and she had duped me into facilitating the kill. But in the time that I took to recuperate, she was gone. The bakery was closed, with a note of eventually returning upon an unspecified date. I tried telling myself that I had ultimately served the greater good. Mr. Mendenhall would have gone on the rest of his life with his prize catch, keeping her in the confines of whatever neurotic, cake-filled fantasy he had in his head. I tried telling myself that I had finally been a real hero. The truer the heroism, the less recognition it gets. The less you can actually talk about it in the open. Yeah, that's what I tried to tell myself. I hope you enjoyed Happy Cake Land, as written by Richard Morgan and performed by Danielle Hewitt, Nate Dufort, Nick Goroff, Olivia Steele, and Melissa Medina. You can hear more of both Danielle Hewitt and Nate Dufort over on the Creepy Podcast. Check it out at www.creepypod.com. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. Longtime resident and powerhouse Otis Jiry has his very own show here on our network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. We have Fear from the Heartland, featuring horror stories brought to you from the Heartland, airing Wednesdays. Eric Peabody's Horror Hill is a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales, and we hope you'll check him out. Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern, down-home horror. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, 
You can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.